Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow, focusing on advanced manufacturing innovations, solutions, and partnerships that exist in our region now and in the future. Hello there, you are listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host for this segment. Today we are speaking with Gary Conley, President and CEO of TechSolve. Gary has been President of TechSolve, a National Institute of Standards and Technology Manufacturing Extension Partnership, or NIST-MEP, since 1995. Among a host of accomplishments, Gary oversaw completion of the TechSolve Business Park, which is home to 13 businesses and 2,000 employees. Before coming to TechSolve, Gary was President of the Economic Development Corporation of Los Angeles County. He was also president of North Coast Harbor in Cleveland, Ohio, and oversaw the development of Cleveland's lakefront, including the Great Lakes Science Center and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With more than 40 years of experience managing economic development programs and organizations, he has led the implementation of hundreds of public and private development projects representing billions of dollars of investment. And he is one of my favorite people. Gary, welcome to the podcast. High time you were here. Thank you, Catherine. I enjoy being here. Uh, tell us a little bit about TechSol's history and relationship with manufacturers over the years. Okay, well, TechSol was um, founded in 1982. We're a partnership between the city of Cincinnati, the University of Cincinnati, and the Chamber of Commerce in Cincinnati. 82 is uh, an important year because that was the, uh, the end of the last great manufacturing recession that uh, we went through, um, except for the, the one now that uh, we've just climbed our way out of. And what was needed at the time was an organization that would work with the small and medium-sized manufacturers within the uh, southwest Ohio to help them adopt the uh, manufacturing techniques that uh, many of our foreign competitors, particularly the Japanese, had, uh, had developed uh, in the post-war period. And um, to our great regret uh, in this country, uh, we'd been a little bit asleep at the switch. And... Um, uh, had some catching up to do, and so we were created for that purpose. And since that time, uh, you know, we've basically been taking the Toyota production system, or as Honda would like to call it, the Honda production system, um, or as it's maybe more uh, better known in, in the United States as lean uh, manufacturing, uh, we've been taking those practices into uh, small and medium-sized businesses throughout southwest Ohio. Well, you've seen quite a few sea changes in how manufacturers innovate, and um, you've worked with a number of companies, including Lifesaver, Precision Manufacturing Company, Siemens, Johnson Electric, it goes on and on. Um, do you have any favorite stories about uh, how TechSolve helped to turn around a firm? Well, um, I think one of our most successful um, engagements has been one that's really been occurring over a 10-year period with a company called Silfax. They're located in Dark, um, Dark County, uh, just west of uh, Dayton. They manufacture silicon ingots and if you, that, that are then used in um, uh, microchip manufacturing and that kind of thing. And if you haven't seen this process, it's a, it is really like magic. It's they, they have these, these large, um, I'm going to say freezer-sized uh, compartments and they're putting gases into those things and so forth. And then in a very short, relatively short period of time, this, this ingot begins to grow and grow and grow until it's, it's perhaps uh, maybe three foot long by uh, you know, maybe a um, foot and a half in diameter. 
And so we started working with those folks uh, about 10 years, 10 years ago. And when we first went into that plant, it was... It, it it really reminded me pretty much of a of a coal bin. It was it was so uh, you know frankly dirty. <laughs> and, uh, so um, o- over the years, not only did it clean uh, get it cleaned up, uh, the people there get it cleaned up. We just gave them a little bit of advice here and there. Um, but uh, they went on to um, reduce the time it takes them to make those ingots. Uh, they went on to. Reduce uh, reduce their their cost uh, by you know tens of millions of dollars, and so it was really very gratifying. And what's kind of interesting about them is they they started out using our lean services, which I mentioned earlier. But the other area of expertise at TechSolve is machining. We have an advanced machining laboratory, mm-hmm. so they graduated from utilizing the lean services to uh, which are basically industrial engineering, improving their practice, uh, eliminating waste to then moving into our machining services for how do you, what's the best way, uh, highest quality way to cut those ingots into the wafer sizes that you need for your electronic products. And, and more recently, we've been working with them um, and taking our, our another service offering, which is um, um, innovation engineering, which is really a process for developing new products and new product concepts and taking them to market. So. Uh, over time, they graduated from one service category to another service category, and it pretty much utilized the entire suite of services that we we provide. And then, uh, of course, as as you will know, Catherine, but perhaps your listeners don't, if you're part of the um, Manufacturing Extension Partnership Program uh, at the federal level, your clients then are um, interviewed on a quarterly basis. And in our most recent interview. Um, um, I think Selfex reported cost savings of over $10 million associated with some of the, the most recent work that we've done there. So it's been very gratifying for, um, for us to participate with a company uh, like Selfex, very high tech. They've added lots of employees, and of course, that's very good for the, for the people of the state. And Definitely. Good for, um, the governor likes to see those taxes come in, as I do too. Yep. Um, so. You know, it's kind of a, um, a virtuous, uh, virtuous cycle that we've experienced with them. That is an incredible return. And uh, let, let's actually talk a little bit about the um, about your advanced machining services. I had the opportunity to visit a few weeks ago, and it was my first time visiting uh, what you're doing there. And it was just absolutely incredible. Some of the applied research that you're working on, and uh, some of the projects that you have handled, including the machinability studies and optimization. So, I wanted to get our, our viewers or our listeners a little bit more uh, information about th- that because I think it's it's unique among the other MEPs in the state. Okay, so maybe for your listeners, if they could just imagine a, um, a machine shop uh, that has, uh, let's say, in our case, we have about 13 machine tools. Um, that's kind of what you see. Um, but what's unique about our machine tools and our laboratory is that our, our machine tools are very heavily instrumented. So uh, we've got accelerometers. Uh, we've got um, you know all, all different types of, uh, of sensors on these machines. So we can conduct various... Uh, Tests and experiments, and so with that kind, of, with that capability, um, we can, for example, work with a material manufacturer to help them determine how they might alter um, the uh, chemistry or the process for making their material so that it is easier for people to machine and make parts out of. Or on the flip side, we would work with a company that might be making a decision about what type of material to use for a particular product. 
And so it goes on through that through every aspect of machining from starting with the, your material selection, going on to your determination of what uh, tools to use, um, to what fluids and lubricants to use in the machining process, uh, to um, physical uh, issues uh, related to the actual structural uh, dynamics, if you would, of the machine tool itself. And we take all those uh, disciplines and all those um, uh, scientific aspects into consideration. And as a result of that, we can then, uh, people have a quality problem uh, that uh, for one reason or another they can't solve or um, they are looking for an optimized uh, um, plan for making a, pro uh, a particular part. Um, you know, we can come to the fore and help them do that. And sometimes the, the results you get can be, you know, frankly, downright spectacular. Uh, we have instances where we've uh, enabled a, a, a manufacturer to reduce the time it makes a particular part by 80% uh, or more. Wow. Um, you know, starting in one particular case, I can think of it, it took them 12 hours to manufacture a part, and we got it down to, you know, just under two hours uh, for the same part and without any... Uh, significant investment of any kind in, in uh, new equipment or anything like that, just by doing, um, just by working smarter, if you would, uh, more knowledgeably um, relative to the, you know, really to the science of the manufacturing and what's going on in the process. So, so we do those kinds of things, but then uh, we also are fortunate now and then to get some really uh, interesting um, um, development programs. And a um, very interesting one we, we actually just completed um, involved a, a demonstration, if you would, of how you can retrofit an old machine tool and make it into an additive manufacturing mm -hmm. um, machine. A machine basically does 3D printing us utilizing um, a metal um, as, a, as, the, as the material. So um, we went on eBay. We bought a, um, an old, uh, out-of-date um, uh, in fact, I think the company itself is bankrupt uh, uh, that was manufacturing this machine. It was a vertical milling machine. Uh, bought it for about $19,000. Invested about uh, $400,000 in retrofitting it uh, with additive manufacturing. And so when we were done, um, we had a machine that could both um, make a part utilizing additive technology, uh, but then could also um, machine it to its final finish and its final tolerances all in all in one setup all within one machine and although 400,000 doesn't sound um, like uh, such a bargain when you compare it with the cost of the uh, the retail cost today of the types of machines that are on the market that have this capability um, they would cost uh, in the order of two and a half million dollars or more so what we were really after in this project was to demonstrate how um, a small machine shop uh, might be able to uh, obtain uh, additive technology capability uh, at a cost that's much closer to what they what they can afford. In case in, in this instance, you know, I, I guess less than uh, what twenty percent of the of the cost of the uh, mm -hmm. comparable machine on the uh, on the retail market. Well, it goes to show you can get anything on eBay too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I suppose so. <laughs> And uh, I was really intrigued by what you were doing with uh, the testing of uh, the level of lubricants on the CNC. Oh, yes. Well, we've got a development project in the works, which we, we've got our fingers crossed because it could be a really um, 
significant um, opportunity for us. But one of the things that uh, happens uh, when you're uh, machining metal to make a part is you're typically you're you're spraying almost uh, resembling like a, a a water hose in your backyard. You're you're spraying either a lubricant or a coolant on the part. The idea being to uh, take heat away um, so that uh, the part doesn't uh, to get to a point where the the heat buildup is such that it it either burns your tool and makes it uh, unusable or it actually damages the part. So. Um, and, and that's been so, – so what you have in a, in a machine tool typically is you've got a 100-gallon tank or more, uh, and you've got the spray nozzle, and it's putting all this fluid out. And that fluid um, is, um, you know, uh, is uh, uh, not, uh, not necessarily the most biologically friendly and environmentally friendly um, type of material uh, that you can have. Um, so there's disposal issues. You also don't like your uh, fluid getting on the, the skin of your operators or having them inhale it. Uh, that's not good for them. So for all kinds of reasons, if you could eliminate the use of fluid in your machining process, um, that, that would be a very good thing. So what we've done is uh, we've developed a system um, that uh, involves uh, basically eliminating the tank. Um, we can take a, um, basically a gallon of fluid um, and it will last an entire week, and there's no disposal problem because the way in which we're applying it, um, it just evaporates into the into the atmosphere. Uh, the concentration of stuff in the fluid that you don't want people to inhale or you don't want people to touch is much much lower. And so we're very you know we're very optimistic uh, that uh, we know the we know the science works. We know we can. We can do this in a laboratory, and we've taken it out in the field, and we have a prototype running, and um, it's 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 working in the field. So the next issue will be: can we ensure the reliability of the system to a point where we can take it to the market? Well, that will be a real game changer, definitely will. TechSolve is also involved in digital manufacturing, and um, so what steps are you taking in this area to help manufacturers become more competitive? Because if you look at some of the recent uh, research, uh, there was an article in Industry Week um, indicated that uh, you know that uh, even though um, you know proclaiming that whether your product is steel or computers or paper or automobiles, the true life li- the lifeblood of your business is not things; it's information. But we've had re- some recent studies indicating that manufacturers are not ready for this. Well, Texol was a, really a pioneer in uh, digital manufacturing um, through a, um, a project that we uh, were responsible for that was uh, funded by the Army some 10 years ago. And one of the outcomes of that project uh, was to develop a communication standard. Um, now, that sounds pretty lame, but what's, all, what's that about? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, basically, in, in the manufacturing world today, uh, you have the same problem that we used to have uh, when we had Microsoft DOS on the one hand and you had Apple computers on the other and you had devices that could, um, could run on either of those systems and communicate on them, but they couldn't communicate with one another. Um, so you could never take an Apple program and run it in a Microsoft environment or vice versa which means you can't integrate data from these two different uh, programming sources. Well, you've got that problem in manufacturing today, but it's, it's even much, much worse because we have many more um, 
manufacturers of control equipment and sensors and robots and, and the like. And every manufacturer uh, has their own control system and their own language that they operate within. So it's, it's impossible to take the information that comes out of those machine controllers and integrate it in a way that makes it possible to understand overall what's going on in your facility. What we were able to do as part of this project that I mentioned earlier uh, was working with the Association for Manufacturing Technology to develop a, a standard, uh, a communication standard that one could translate these, the information from disparate uh, controllers uh, into this uh, common format so that you can integrate the information and display it and utilize it regardless of what device it, com it comes from. So um, if, where you've got existing equipment, it does require you to uh, develop a, I'm going to call it a middleware, uh, where that converts the signal into the standard um, format. Um, but, um, so, and, and we're very much today uh, in the business of developing those, those kind of middleware uh, projects and we're products, and we're beginning to see them um, you know, being uh, utilized uh, at a very um, at an accelerating rate within industry. Well, what's important about that is you know you hear this talk about the industrial internet and the internet of things and 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 so forth. Well, the enabling technology, if you would, that makes it possible to link machines to the internet and then uh, integrate the information is this middleware standard and the ability to, or is this communication standard and the ability to to use the, the middleware products to convert it into an integratable form. So, um, so that sounds okay, so what's, why should anybody care? Well, once you've got that capability, you now have a visibility into your manufacturing process and exactly what's happening on your manufacturing floor, and you've got it at real time, you've got it at your fingertips, and it's accessible to you at any moment, anywhere in the world that you might happen to be. Um, and with that, um, you can get a much keener insight into your capabilities, into what equipment you're utilizing, what equipment you're not utilizing, where you're having manufacturing bottlenecks, where you're, you're having uh, maintenance problems, where you've gotten inefficiencies. You can compare um, one shift against another shift. You can compare one machine against another machine. Uh, and, 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 and as Kurt Vonnegut said, and so it goes. Um, so then you begin to think, oh, what's the next level of this? Well, the next level of this is that um, I, as a manufacturer, would like to be able to have the same technology in the, um, uh, on the shop floors of all of my suppliers. So I can, I can look uh, downstream or upstream, I guess, in, into my uh, supply base, and I can see whether there are likely to be any kind of bottlenecks, any kind of problems that, is, that are actually then going to uh, tumble down on me and cause me to have a problem in meeting a delivery commitment or a production schedule of some, some kind. So that's kind of how it starts. And now you wind up with also then, once you have got all these connections, you now have a mountain of information uh, that allows you to begin to model and simulate your entire supply chain and look for additional levels of, um, uh, of optimization and efficiencies uh, that otherwise would, would not, have, not have been a, uh, apparent to you. Just to give you kind of one kind of indication of how um, almost startling this information can sometimes prove to be, it, it's very uh, common for us to 
talk to management prior to we doing an installation of this kind of technology, and they may tell us that they're operating their equipment at a 70 or 80 percent uh, utilization level. Um, and, and they believe that because um, right now they go around with stopwatches occasionally and do some visual inspections and management and examinations of the like. But once we're able to connect those machines and we know exactly what's happening with them because it's coming directly out of the controller exactly as it's being used, we find that the utilization levels are often um, less than 20%. Hmm. So there is this huge amount of invisible capability currently invisible capability uh, that, first of all, the companies don't know, any, know that's there. And secondly, uh, not knowing it's there, they're not taking advantage of it. So now those that are adopting the technology are finding uh, that uh, they're capable of increasing their output level without adding additional equipment. Um, they're they're um, are finding ways that uh, with the same capital base and capital investment, that uh, they're able to very significantly increase their sales and then reduce their unit costs and become even more competitive. So that's why that's why we should care about this. And uh, uh, I think over the next 10 years, uh, uh, you're going to see a very rapid uh, adoption of this technology, and I think it's going to be transformative. It's so transformative uh, that um, the Germans, for example, have, have labeled this Industry 4.0, meaning mm -hmm. that they rate the, um, uh, the impact of this technology right up there as, uh, as the fourth industrial revolution, every bit as important as the um, invention of the steam engine or um, the computer. And if you're a company, this could be quite a daunting task if you don't have a clear mechanism to follow. So, um, I think it's going to be the biggest challenge that... Um, manufacturers, small manufacturers are going to be faced with is adopting and utilizing this technology in, in a way that uh, enables them to continue to be competitive. Yeah, completely agreed. Um, so I have one more question for you. Um, you know, TechSolve is, is a, um, definitely a, an organization that is involved in uh, a number of partnerships, every one from, you know, the uh, you know, NASA with the Tech Connect to uh, to Sinclair Community College for an apprenticeship program, dual education apprenticeship program, uh, with with all of those relationships, um, you know, what do you find is the most productive approach in helping manufacturers innovate when you have all of these partners working together? Well, I think it all gets down to being able to deliver either information or service to a company. Uh, kind of on a just-in-time basis and just exactly what they need at that particular point. So uh, so that's why I think the network of partnerships um, is where the value lies. It's, it doesn't lie in one particular partner here or there. Each of them are, you know, a very valuable, uh, but it's your ability when you're faced with, a, when a company is faced with the problem, uh, to have uh, to to be able to find precisely um, the best service provider, the one with that has this specific expertise that's needed, and to be able to do that in a timely in a timely fashion. So I think the value is in the network itself. Um, as much as I love the individual partners, um, the sum of the, the 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 whole is bigger than the sum of the parts. Thank you so much for your time, Gary. Appreciate it.
been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Thank you.